Okay, hey, welcome everyone. My name is Scott. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Uh, we are going to be talking about intentional parenting and in, in, in line with this sermon series of moving sort of out of survival mode and into intentionality in all areas of our life. The main thing I want us to remind us of is how everything we do in, in our lives as followers of Jesus needs to flow first from this intentional soul care of authentically walking with the Lord in our relationship with him, which is being fueled by his grace and by his truth for our life. Um, and as we come to this subject of parenting, how important it is for first and foremost our relationship with the Lord to be the thing that is fueling our marriage also, if you're married, but also uh, your, your parenting. Uh, family life is always challenging every day, all the time. Somebody said to me after first service, my wife always says, he said, that uh, parenting children is not for sissies. And that is absolutely true, and it continues to be true uh, the older your kids get. Um, it's always hard. It always has challenges. My favorite comedian has been talking about this a lot since quarantine. His name's Jim Gaffigan. They have five kids. They live in a two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. And he says this, every morning we wake up during quarantine. We eat, then we clean, then we argue. Then we eat, and then we clean, and then we argue. And sometimes we'll mix it up, and we argue before we eat and clean. Essentially, at this point, he says, my wife and I are running a diner. We make mediocre food for ungrateful recipients, and then we clean up, and we do it again. <laughs> and it has been challenging. Parenting with kids in the house and like never leaving to go to school and right there and trying to work and trying to navigate it all and all the emotions of it all eat clean up argue <laughs> right now with our technology there's all kinds of cars that are somewhat self-driven like you you can get a car today that like keep you in the lane like that you're driving on it'll like it'll literally guide you back and forth and it'll like stop before you get to the next car and like keep you just kind of locked in. Others are so self-driving or like autopilot that you can like put an address in and it will literally drive you there. And as I was thinking about this subject and of intentional parenting, so often most parents, not all, but most parents I don't think are in intending to be bad parents or intending to be neglectful of their children but there is a temptation, if we're not careful, to put everything on autopilot. To just kind of go on cruise control, like with, with our parenting. And especially in times of difficulty, like we've been through. Like, I just don't have the energy to do this. And so today is a call and a reminder to focus on the important role that we have as parents. But I want to give a few caveats as we get started. The first is, our main focus today is going to be primarily for parents who have children still in the home. Um, and probably even somewhat younger. My boys are all 18 and up now, and so our challenges are a little bit different than they used to be. But the reality is uh, you never stop parenting and you never stop caring for your children, no matter how old they get. And also, this has to be said, we're talking about intentional parenting, and we're talking about the, the proverbial things, the wise things to do as parents, things to do, things not to do, but I also have to say that some of the most intentional parents that I know, some of the most gracious, godly, loving parents that I know have had children that are wayward in one way or another. Perhaps they've wandered from the faith. Maybe the rest of their life is 
highly successful and everything's great, but they, they're no longer following God. And you as a parent feel this enormous weight and burden. Others of you have had children in, in the home still that have struggled. Some of them have struggled later in life as adult children, but some, while they're in the house, rebellious, angry, having difficulty, and that is such a battle and it's such a struggle, and it's so easy to feel shame that I'm a horrible parent, that I've done something wrong, that I haven't been intentional, and I just want to remind each one of us that we live in a broken, fallen world where each one of us is broken and fallen and sinful, and we have free will, and we make our own decisions in a sense. And so there's this reality that in this broken, fallen world, some of the most intentional, loving, godly parents that I know, at least, have not had an easy time of it. So I plead with you, if you're among that group, to not bake yourself in shame today, but to cling to the goodness of God and Jesus. We'll pray together for your children. When I was a younger pastor, though, a younger youth pastor, and I worked with junior high students and senior high students and that kind of thing, and, and I would see kids struggling and wandering, and I have to admit that in that moment of my life, before I had kids, before we had our own challenges, before that kind of thing, and, and just being, like, you know, gaining wisdom through experience, I did kind of have this mentality that, like, if you did all the right things and avoided all the bad things, that you could at least minimize and keep your kids from the worst of things. And yet I've, I've found through life that that's not just the case. Yeah, but what about Proverbs 22.6? Train up a child in the way he should go, he or she, and if you do, they will not depart from it, even in their old age. And those verses from Proverbs serve as wisdom literature, and it's important to remember that there's different genres in the Bible these are not prophetic promises that every single Christian that, that does the right thing and lays the right foundation will always have children that turn out just the way that we had imagined it. But instead, this is proverbial wisdom, meaning generally speaking, this is the way that, that things work. So we start today, the intentional parent, and we're going to be kind of all over the place today. It's, it's going to be like a seminar more than a sermon in a sense, and we're going to tackle a lot of different subjects. And even after it, I have to say, there will be so many things left unsaid, but let's give it a shot. First, the intentional parent aims for the heart and not just behavior. This is so important. And, and yet, there is this constant temptation as parents to just want to control their behavior, our children's behavior, regardless of whether they're adult children or whether they're still in the home, there's a desire to control the environment in such a way, and behavior seems so right to focus on, but at the end, we're going for their heart. And on the other hand, though, we are aware that behavior is illustrative of the heart and shows the fruit of the heart, right? In Luke 6, 45, Jesus says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces heart, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so we say what's in our heart. We do what's in our heart. And so we know that our actions, it's okay to, to analyze behavior at some degree because it is illustrative of the heart. But at the end of the day, the intentional parent and the gospel-driven parent is aiming, is aiming for the heart and not merely behavior. Because then in a moment, behavior may or may not tell the whole story. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, it says this. 
And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And so first, I want to I talk to parents. Like, it's not just about shepherding your child's heart, because it, it has to begin, first and foremost, with us shepherding our hearts with our own care in the gospel and our own walk with Christ in the gospel. We have to give our children something that we have, right? We cannot give our family health if we're unhealthy. We can't give them uh, the gospel if we're not marinating and walking in the gospel ourselves. We know that so much of what we're trying to accomplish with our children is caught often more than simply just taught, right? It's who we are as people. These things shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you're driving around town in your minivan, when you lie down, and when you rise up. These words I command to you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. One of the things I love about this passage is this. On the one hand, there's intentionality, but there's also a sense in this passage that he's talking about the organic way of life. When should you be teaching your children about the ways of God? <laughs> Always. When you get up, when you sit down, when you're driving around town, when you're when you're on your way to practice, when you're on your way to school, and you're on your way home from school, like, and by the way, families, this doesn't mean like you pull out the Bible every time and you're just, what he's saying is your life is so integrated in your faith, and your faith is so integrated into the details and corners of your life that it can't help but just spill over into your way to school and while you're having meals and so forth. Becky and I tried to be intentional at mealtime. This was an area where we would try to have X number of meals a week together. And we would talk about best and worst. And, and sometimes it worked. There were teachable moments. Becky is the most intentional person I know. She was constantly trying to be intentional. Let's do best and worst. Let's, and, and some days it was just like, this is happening. And at other days, it was like they conspired and said, hey, at dinner, they're going to try to be intentional. Let's be intentional ourselves. Like, it ain't going to happen, right? <laughs> best and worst, watch this. Like, we're just going to blow it up. And so sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes there were teachable moments. Sometimes there weren't. But tell us the best thing that happened this week. And why don't you share with us the worst? We also found that at bedtime, when our kids were very young, especially, was a window into the heart. As we were closing out the day, and praying with them, and talking with them, reading a book, telling a story, it was in those moments that our child, children's hearts would really reveal themselves about fear that they may have, or anger, or concern, or struggle. Their hearts would show up in the evening. Intentionality. I love this. I love this passage. Being intentional on the one hand, teach them to obey, these commandments that have been laid on your heart, give to your children, win all the time. But if it's going to be really all the time, there's a sense in which it's so organic. It's just baked in to our lives. The next thing I want us to see, in addition to aiming for the heart and not just behavior, is that the intentional parent, the, the, the parent that's being dri driven by the gospel, has to be mindful of the reality of time. And there's some good news, believe it or not, about how much time we're spending with our kids. 
if I hadn't already prefaced it that way and I asked you, do you think we're spending more or less time than previous generations, my guess is you'd say we're spending less time. But the truth is, research is showing right now, of course in corona, but even prior to that, we are spending more time with our children than previous generations. In 1965, moms spent about an average of 54 minutes a day caring for their children, and now they spend more than twice that. While dads in 65 spend an average of just about 16 minutes a day, ouch, uh, now they're spending upwards of an hour a day. And I'm so encouraged by that. That's great. That's a huge improvement. I, I don't believe that just quality time is the right thing. It's also quantity. It needs to be both. But I also am concerned about the pace of our lives especially prior to COVID and definitely once this is all over, the pace of our lives when we go back to it. I grew up in Indiana and as a citizen of the Hoosier State, and I should say the Boilermaker State, it's much more appropriate. But anyway, the, as a citizen of Indiana, you are required at least once to go to the Indy 500. And so I did that more than once. We would go to the time trials. We went to the Indy 500 once, and we sat right next to the pit stop. And it's unbelievable what they can do in like seven or eight seconds, right? The, the car pulls up, and they change, the, you know, they fill the gas tank, and they change the oil, and they wipe the windshield, and they, they feed and, and give drink to the driver. And like in a matter of 10 seconds, and he's off and gone. But if we're not careful, we're kind of living our lives in sort of pit stop parenting like right you know uh, you you just rush get your clothes on we got to go eat your breakfast get that down go we got to go we got to get to school and then on the way home from school like how was your day good uh did you wear clean underwear today okay fantastic uh now any homework okay great go upstairs change we got to get to practice oh hey there's dad everybody wave at dad hi dad mom what's for dinner dinner uh, reach between the seats. Maybe there's something, maybe there's like fries or nuggets left over from yesterday. Grab something, anything. We gotta get to practice. It's just go, go, go. Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And a lot of times in passages like this where it addresses fathers only or men only, you know, it's important to say this means mothers too. And of course it does. It also means moms. But maybe, maybe Paul really did mean to focus on fathers in this passage because there is a father wound. And it's not that the role of mom is not also equally important. It isn't. But there is something profound about the relationship of children to, to dads. We know this. And there's often a gaping hole in our hearts left by a father. It's like literally why we have the phrase, the father wound. And the word for provoke in this passage means to rouse to wrath, to exasperate, to wear somebody out, to anger, to bring to anger. And whenever I've read this passage or studied it or thought about this word, I kind of have in mind someone that's just like annoying and bugging you. It's like just picking, pointing on your back and bothering you. It's like we can rouse our children to anger in many different ways, some in the in overt sinning against them, but also when there's things that we ought to be doing that we have not done. Not just sins of commission, right, but sins of omission. And this is one of the ways that we do it is with regards to our time. 
And it's one thing to be physically present, but it's another thing to be emotionally present with somebody. And so often, dads and moms, but fathers, I want to speak to you for a minute, is that we can be physically present, but not emotionally available or there. The other day, Becky and I were supposed to be watching a fantastic horse program that I love from Canada, and I, I adore this show so much. And we were about two to three seasons, episodes in. <laughs> and she's like, you're not here. And I'm like, I'm, I'm watching. She's like, you've been off on you and off your phone over and over and over. And so what she's saying is, you're physically here, but you're not locked in. And if you saw the show I was watching, you would know why, but like, you, you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. And with our kids, this is a reality. The other thing that's kind of interesting about our family is, and it's sort of unique to us, it's not as unique today because of cell phones and iPhones and so forth. Like, we record everything now, right? Everything's on video. But literally, our family was a little bit like the, the Truman Show. Our boys were always being videoed, uh, even prior to phones. Like, Becky was always had a video camera in her hand, and she came to it naturally by her dad. Like, we were constantly being videoed. And so when we go back and our kids come home from college and we're all back at Thanksgiving or Christmas, we'll pull out the old Christmas video footage or the old just footage from family time. And, and, and what's fascinating to me is like when we watch in the 2003, 2004, 2005 era, when New Valley was just being started as a church, and I'm working from home, I have a home office in a way which meant I never ever quit working, and our kids are young, and there's Becky. Some big event is happening, so much so that she's pulled out the camera for the 10th time today, and we're videoing. But I'm in the background often. And I'm there. I'm physically there. But I'm walking around the house, and you can see me usually grimacing on the phone, feeling the weight and stress of starting a new church and having to try to get this thing going and off the ground. And, like, and I was often there, and I'm just, I'm often feel this the sadness of like, I was there, but I was emotionally so not present so often because I was working so much. And even when I wasn't literally working, there would be a phone call or a neighbor would stop by or somebody from church would text or call or come by. We can be physically present without being emotionally present. And so to say yes to our kids and yes to our spouse and, and ultimately yes to the Lord we have to say no to some things. We know this is true for everything else in life. Whatever, we make room for whatever is important. So to say yes to our kids, to say yes to our spouses if you're married, to say yes even to the Lord, we have to say, we have to say no. We got to a place where like three years into planting the church, things are cranking up, it's getting really busy. And up to this point, I had coached my boys in Little League Baseball and I'd always been an assistant coach. I didn't know enough about it to be a head coach, but I was always the assistant coach. And I told Becky before Little League started that one of these years, I, I just don't think I can do it this year with everything happening at church, with everything going on, and I, I just don't think I could do it. And she agreed. I don't think you can either. And so you're making the right call. And, but I did take the boys to their first practice, and so I take them, I drive them over to some park in Tempe, and we gather all the boys, and they say, all right, boys, I want you to go run some laps and go over there, and I want to have a quick meeting with the parents. Parents, come over here. And so, hey, parents, what's going on? Like, going around the room, I want to introduce everybody. And by the way, this is Scott. He's going to be the assistant coach, right? Scott, you're coaching, right? And I'm like, absolutely. I would never think otherwise. 100%, I'm all in. So I drive home. I'm wearing the hat. I have the T-shirt, and she's like, 
what happened? You said you weren't going to coach. And I'm like, I, I couldn't say no. And I'm so glad I didn't. Because right now, 15 years later or whatever, as I look back at that moment in time, I can't remember what was going on in the church at that moment that would keep me from coaching my kids' team. It's gone. I don't remember it at all. But I do remember that season. And I do remember that team. And I do remember that time with my boys. And I'm so thankful that guy interrupted my stupid plan to not coach that year. Next Saturday, our oldest son is going to join me at the front of an aisle where we will await a young lady who is crazy enough to marry him. And they're going to be married next week. And at 22, I feel like his life is flashing before my eyes. He was five just moments ago. And time is gone. And when my boys were five, six, seven, eight years old, and older fathers would say to me all the time, Scott, it goes by so fast. It just goes by so fast. And you kind of laugh at him like, ugh, it doesn't feel that fast. I mean, it's like I'm in the middle of it. It's not that fast. But now I'm the old guy, and I'm telling you, listen to the old guys. We know it goes by so, so fast. Pay attention to your time. Say no to other things so you can say yes to your family. And be mindful of being emotionally present, moms and dads. The next thing I want us to look at today is this, healthy boundaries and discipline. It actually provokes a child to wrath and anger if we don't give them boundaries and we don't give them discipline. They need limits. They need limits. There were times where we would bring discipline, even tough discipline, into our family in that moment and it would be like a calm, a wave of calm would come over. It was almost like they were saying, somebody lead around here. Somebody has got to get this place in order. And when we would, a calm would come over. Appropriate discipline and boundary setting builds character and helps them be more productive in God-honoring people later in life. couple warnings. You need to be unified. Parents, you need to be unified in, in how you're disciplining this has not always been easy for me and Becky. Becky and I have not always been able to get, uh, it's been difficult at times to be on the same page, especially the older the boys got. How do we respond? What do we say yes to? What do we say no to? When do we let them fail? Can you over-discipline? You know you can. And I think this is the primary thing that Paul has in mind when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It's abuse. Discipline is good and right and godly, but if it, if it goes into abuse, it's too far, and it will cause your child be provoked in anger. Discipline is not for your convenience. It feels like you desperately need that, but it's not. Discipline is not to make the house more peaceful or a nicer environment or where you can get more rest and sleep and television and Netflix time. It is not for that. It's for their heart. We have a five-and-a-half-month-old uh, five puppy in the home right now. Lucy's amazing. She requires an enormous amount of energy release. She needs to be walked. I'm taking her on a three-mile walk in the morning. She needs to go to the dog park in the afternoon. And if she doesn't get that by about 7 o'clock at night, she literally starts to lose her mind. She just starts flying around the house, chewing stuff she shouldn't, 
but she's five and a half months old. This, she's a puppy. And I get really mad at her. I just want to be, stop right now. You know, I'm going to discipline you. And she's saying to me in her doggy voice, like, what do you expect from me? I'm five and a half. I'm five and a half months old. I'm just a puppy. With our kids, sometimes they're just being kids. And they don't need discipline. They, they need our attention. They need our focus. When we are intentional, we're never parenting just for the moment. And the reality with discipline is this. If you withhold it and you don't set boundaries, you're provoking to, to anger later. There are so many times where our boys, when they were young, obviously not now, but when they were much younger, where they would literally just speak very literally to us and say, I don't like what you're doing right now. I was like, okay. I don't like this plan at all. This is not okay. Like, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting in my room for the next five hours. I do not want you to spank me. I do not want you to, like, I, I don't care. You know, I actually do not care what you think right now. I'm angry. Awesome. Be angry. Because right now, I'm disciplining you, and I'd rather make you angry at me right now so that you can be joyful later. Someday you'll thank me for making you so upset right now by saying no to you. Hopefully. <laughs> we had to do that over and over and over. The intentional parent is mindful of their time, applies appropriate discipline, but also applies appropriate loving words and loving touch. Throughout my ministry, I cannot tell you how many times I've sat at a table and listened to somebody tell a story and say, my mom has literally never told me she loves me. My dad has never once told me that I'm loved. Maybe I'm proud of you. Maybe you did a good job. Maybe you made a good grade, scored a touchdown. But never, I love you. You cannot say, I love you too much, friends. And you, you cannot apply enough appropriate, now hear me, appropriate hugs and affection. You can't as a parent. There's not enough. I don't want to spoil them. I don't want to tell them I love them so much and just spoil them. You can't. You know this is true of your own heart and life. You need at least 10 positive messages for every one negative that you get out in the world every day, all day. Your children are being bombarded with negative messages all day on social media if they're old enough to have those kind of screens. They're being bombarded with having to contrast themselves with perfect lives that are being lived before them on social media. The perfect way to look. The perfect way to get grades. The perfect way. And you are too. If you're really a good parent, you'd be doing this amazing craft project that I'm showing you on Instagram. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it's always the perfection. They're under such scrutiny. They need to be told, I love you. I see great things in you. I'm going to discipline you when you're off base, but I believe in you. Maybe your grades aren't exactly where I need them to be or want them to be right now, but I believe in you. You're going to be fine. God's with you. God's blessed you. Tell them, men, even if you have sons, hug them. Kiss them on the cheek. Tell them you love them. It's a great gift you can give. And lastly and finally and absolutely most importantly, we have to model the gospel. 
We need to model the gospel. It says in Ephesians 6, 4 again, fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't do that. But he offers the thing that we should do as well, which is what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger, but instead raise them up in the gospel. And the greatest thing you can do is to show them your need for Jesus Christ. Every one of you is a broken, fallen, sinful parent. None of you are perfect. Jesus called us evil parents <laughs> in the Gospels. Do you remember that? If you who are evil give your children good gifts, how much more so will your heavenly Father? We're broken. We're fallen. The last thing you need to show your children is this image that you're perfect, that you've got it together, that you never fail, that you never fall, that you never struggle. They know it, by the way. They're fully aware that you're not perfect. <laughs> it's okay to admit it. It's okay to confess it. The greatest thing you can do is to demonstrate that you need Christ, but that you hope in Christ. Not only am I a sinner, but I'm a forgiven sinner, and I take that to Christ. And I don't just live in it either. If they see you being too angry, you repent of it, and you don't say, well, that's just me. I'm angry, and you're going to have to deal with it. No, you repent of it and say, I, I was angry and I'm asking the Lord to help me, to grow me, to make me more healthy. One of the greatest things you can do is to admit your fault and to repent to your children. To confess your sins to them. When I disciplined you, I was angry. I did not control my anger. I, I raised my voice. Please forgive me. That's not okay. Maybe what you did wasn't okay, but the way I responded was not a healthy way, and I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. When, when, you know, I just disciplined you, but you know what? That was really more about my convenience than it was the reality of what you're doing. You're a five-and-a-half-month-old puppy. You, you're hyper. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I raised my voice. I, I got upset at you when you were just being a little boy. I'm very sorry. There's sort of all this lore and story in any family, right? And so for our, our family, we have all these stories. And one of the stories that we like to tell, they usually involve making fun of me. And there's a story about a trip to Greer, Arizona, when I was having probably a true classic emotional burnout. We're like three to five years into planting the church. I really am burned out. And someone in the church said, will you take our RV for free and, and go to Greer, Arizona and camp? Like, take it for the whole week. And this is one of the greatest gifts anyone's ever given us. Like, we still look at this trip. It was like magical. But, but to get to the magic, we had to go through some pain. So we load up the RV. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I feel all this stress and pressure from starting this church. We get in the van or in the RV. We drive up to Greer, and everything should be great. We're in paradise. Like, it's great. We're Midwesterners. We miss trees and grass and cooler temperatures. And it was all that, and there's fishing. But I'm just a wreck. And the boys are being boys, and we're, we're caught up in the RV one night, and they're being crazy, and there's five of us in an RV, and the boys are being nuts and everything, and I lose it on them. They're not being bad. They're being boys, and I just get all upset. And then I kind of snap and, and start crying, <laughs> like, boys, I'm so sorry. I mean, I lose it. I get, I'm really getting weird. Like, and then they all gather around me, and I'm like, 
I beg you to forgive me. Like, I've been so stressed. And like, this is not okay. But like, we look back at that as a moment, A, of my insanity, but B, of kind of like a good thing that sort of defined our parenting. Lots of mistakes. But if Becky and I did anything right, it was to ask for forgiveness, to own it. And they were quick to forgive. Dad, we love you. We're sorry. We're, we're sorry for you that you've been feeling this way. Like, we're sorry for being crazy. Like, let's have a great time. And then we went on to have just this amazing vacation together. Ask your children for forgiveness. You can still lead them. You're leading them the best way you possibly can. If you don't show them your need for Jesus, all you're doing is perpetuating hypocrisy, and hypocrisy will kill their faith faster than anything else in the world. Point them to the perfect one. You don't have to be the perfect one. And I want to encourage you with this. It is never too late to live out of the gospel. Some of you have kids still in the home, and it's not going well. There are serious problems. There's serious rebellion. There's serious difficulty. There's serious issues happening. It's not too late. Perhaps you've been leading well. Perhaps you've not been parenting well, but it's not too late. Some of you are like brand new Christians. We have a lot of people at New Valley that are like that, and they're like, I would like to like lead my family in a Bible study or like some family devotion, but I have no idea what to do. It's not too late. We're providing in this, this daily devotional. One, one of the devotions a, a week is a family devotional. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't need all the information. Just literally open it up, study it for three minutes, and go for it. Yeah, but I, well, I don't even know who wrote any of these books. It doesn't matter. Just get started. Some of you are parents of adult children, and there's brokenness in your relationship, and it feels like it's too late. It'll never be healed. It'll, it'll never be mended. But it's not too late. My stepdad and I were close growing up. He married my mom when I was 11, but we weren't super close. Uh, he was extremely busy. He worked really long hours and worked really hard for our family and provided really, really well. But he was incredibly busy. And I was busy with my own life and school, and, and we just didn't connect that much. And then my own dad passed away, and he and I had been very close. He died when I was 30 years old, right before we had Jacob. And my stepdad, meanwhile, was becoming a profound man of God. He had been so busy with work, and he'd been a Christian, but it hadn't been a high priority. But in his retirement, Christ and serving the church became his highest priority. He began to grow and grow and grow spiritually. And he has become my dad. When he introduces me, he calls me, this is my son, Scott. He doesn't say this is my stepdad, son, stepson, Scott. And I don't even like calling him my stepdad. He's my dad. I call him Pap. I, I get to see them tomorrow. Um, and I just want to encourage you that it's not too late. He and I are so close now. But that didn't even start until I was 30 years old. It's not too late. It's never too late for the gospel to start bursting forth in power. Especially when you apply faith and humility and repentance. And the truth is, though, whenever we sing songs like we've been singing today about us being a child of God, and I'm a child of God, and this is my father's house, and yes, I am, and 
Many of you are singing out loud, but you're like, I don't believe any of this. And it's like the gospel is just dropping healing rain on you, but it's like you're, you have this tarp over you that won't allow the rain to soak in because you just can't believe that God the Father could love you because your father's, your heavenly father looks nothing like your earthly father. Your earthly father was so unfaithful or so abusive or so difficult or so unhealthy that it's like impervious. You just can't get the Father's love. But I want to say to you, it's not too late either. The Spirit needs to break through. The most important way to address the Father wound is to see the wounds of the Son on your behalf. It says this in Romans, He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Look what the Father has done so that you may know him, that you may experience his love. And you will experience it fully in eternity. Even though we just taste it in glimpses right now in imperfect ways, in eternity we will feel the full embrace of the Father's love for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray for the brokenhearted. We pray for those who find it so difficult to hear the gospel because of a father's wound or a mother's wound. And we pray for relief when we pray for healing. And I pray for discouraged parents right now, parents who are dealing with children that are denying faith in you or walking away. And these, many of these parents, Lord, have been faithful, have been intentional, have prayed with and for their children every day. And yet, they're walking away. Dear God, hear our cry. Remember your covenant of grace. Turn not your eyes of, and your heart from these children, Lord. Draw them to yourself powerly by your grace and your mercy. Heal them. Heal that which is broken. Remove the shame from these parents, Father, please. And we pray for our friends with adult children, many of whom have children that are successful and things going really well in many ways, but for some reason they've walked away from you. Oh Lord, give these parents wisdom as they still have hearts that break for their children and want them to know you and love you, serve you. And Father, we, we pray for all of us, young parents with young children in the home that are struggling and it feels like in eternity, that this will never be over, and it's in the middle of the battle. Give them patience and endurance to persevere, doing, doing that which is laying a foundation. Keep encouraging them to persevere, to lay a good foundation in the gospel, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.